Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's the Philosopher's Stone podcast. You already know. You already know. How you doing, Sam LeBoon? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you gave me an ominous warning right before we started recording. I made, little... a, I made an amateur mistake of opening up a freezy four minutes before we started podcasting. So now I have to <laughs> dummy this thing and possibly risk brain freeze. <laughs> but I could not delay the pod anymore, so... Uh, sorry if you hear a little crunchiness going on here. It's a Pedialyte Freezy, which are my new uh, favorite things. Pedialyte, what does that mean? So it, it's it's meant for, to, it has like a shit ton of uh, electrolytes in it. And it's meant, it's like used to rehydrate people who are like dehydrated from being really sick, aka like diarrhea and throwing up. And they need to like re- replenish their uh, electrolytes quickly. And... Uh, you can buy it in liquid form, but I found these freezies. You got to get them in the in the um, uh, pharmacy. Uh, but I really do feel like I feel like it gives me a little, just makes me feel like I, everything's topped up a little more after I eat one. I, I eat like three when I'm hungover. And, uh, nice. Nice crunch on that. <laughs> the best Eating thing about these the freezies is the yeah. crunch they got on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm drinking a beer that has electrolytes in it, so what yeah damn they're trying to they're trying to like uh you know head head off the hangover at the at the junction you know like <laughs> they're trying to put the cure for the hangover in the cause of the hangover <laughs> it's pretty smart Dude, uh, can scientists just figure out how to like make drugs completely safe and and uh have no ill effects like imagine a world where alcohol and cocaine and heroin all these really fun things i don't know about heroin but i've heard <laughs> uh, <laughs> imagine if there was no repercussions for indulging in them i mean there would probably be a lot of social repercussions i guess we do need some sort of built-in like breaks on these bad boys I'm just spitballing here yeah i don't know I, I think i think uh no matter what you do if you do it too much it'll always be bad that's Even true. if it has no like ill effect on your health, it'll still be bad in some way to be yeah. totally bad. <clears throat> it's actually it would like, be nice if you could shoot heroin without having your life end. <laughs> would but. be. I would I think that people would be drunk a lot more, uh, to a point where society might collapse. <laughs> oh, if you could just have like a if, like a sobriety could... pill or something. Makes you like instantly not drunk. Oh, that now we're now we're talking. Now we're talking utopia. This is uh, so when you need to be if you need to be sober in a minute because an emergency arises or you, have to, you get called into work or something, you take a pill and you're completely sober. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh. Like in a video game, you could just have a cheat code that just takes the drunk effect off your yeah character. But I'm just thinking, like, if I could get blackout drunk and not wake up with any hangover or any uh like bodily damage i don't know would i would i i think people would initially people would get drunk a lot more and way more drunk and then i think a lot of people would get sick of being drunk and then you know give it a couple of years a lot of society would be over the drink <laughs> cuz there's yeah, no addictive <laughs> qualities right if we're talking no ill effects we're ta- we're we're saying that you can't be an alcoholic and you can't be an addict you can only mentally be addicted to these things but not physically so maybe i don't know i'll yeah, run it by still, justin trudeau the, uh, there'll still be all the like the social consequences of being <laughs> yeah. drunk all the time <laughs> yeah but people have it those anyways a lot of mistakes <laughs> that's true it probably wouldn't go well i'm just you know wishful thinking here i um am in the middle of a uh, bout with my old friend insomnia once again it's been like three days without a good sleep, but I've been uh, prescribed. This is the third thing I've been prescribed for insomnia. Um, gabapentin. Valium. Oh, no. gabapentin. What? Yeah, which I've only given to my shit? A doctor a I called on the phone. <laughs> That's the thing. I've only ever used it on my cats. But uh, I did a rocket doctor, which is where you just call a doctor and they call you back. You call, put in your name, they call you back. They ask you a couple questions. You fill out a form. Rocket online, doctor? What, rocket doctor. Is this on Craigslist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of BC. What you do is you go online, you fill out a form. 
you say, I want to see a doctor today. Then you get a guy that calls you back and he says, and he like checks your form, goes over why you're calling. You fill out a, like, uh, like I had like a 10 question questionnaire all about insomnia, which was very thorough, way more thorough than anything I've ever done before. And uh, I got called back and I talked to a doctor and then he uh, asked me a couple more questions and I told him restless leg syndrome was uh, one of the key components in my insomnia, which is very true. It's a combination of restless legs and racing thoughts. Um, and he said gabapentin can deal with both of those. So I got a prescription. Um, the pharmacist was like, what are you planning on using this for? I'm like insomnia. And he's like, oh, okay, good. Because I was like, you're going to get knocked out if you take this. Um, so I took it last night, I took it last night, fell asleep, woke up in the middle of the night. Um, so it didn't really work the way I was hoping. I still did not sleep like most of the night, but, uh, it was crazy. The effects on my physical body because my not only did i not have restless legs i woke up and i swear to god it felt like i did not have legs <laughs> like i had no sense of my legs whatsoever i could move them like i could use them but i was like i really like if i woke up right now and i you told me i had been cut in half and blinded i years ago and i just woke up out of a coma i might believe you because it's like <laughs> no presence of my legs so it did as far as the restless leg syndrome it obliterated them into almost too much almost a, like <laughs> they put them into a fucking black hole or something <laughs> unfortunately did not help with my brain shutting off so i'll try it again oh, that's tonight. weird i thought it was like a tranquilizer I felt really heavily sedated. I just did not mm. false. I just wasn't sleeping. It was, it was actually kind of a gross mm. feeling mentally because it's like, I just, I can like my thoughts turned into like mashed potatoes, but I wasn't able to fall asleep. Um, yeah, anyways, that's, that's I'm going to try I'm it again. I'm not being sarcastic here, but have you tried like working really hard all day and then trying to sleep? Yes. I, I've been dealing with insomnia for a long time, especially when I was working in, um, in construction and more recently at the concrete shop, which was physical labor all day. So it doesn't seem, not to mention I do exercise and my, yeah, I mean, I've tried almost every single thing I can think of to, uh, it must be some sort of underlying anxiety or something. Maybe it's ADD. Mm. I don't fucking know. Uh, have you tried taking 10 deep breaths before you go to bed? What is this? What, what, what the fuck are you doing? 10 deep breaths? You think that's going to fix it? Could you imagine if all these years <laughs> I've been looking for the answer to this problem and it's just 10 deep breaths? Maybe you've only tried nine up until this point. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the 10th one. Maybe yeah, I always I I don't exhale all the way on that tenth one. <laughs> I you know what to them I'll fucking try tonight. But uh, yeah. um, it it is it is definitely triggered by incoming um things in my life that I'm nervous about. Uh, but it happens like a month before the thing, and then it's like oh god. That leads me to my next piece of uh, interesting news. My website is complete. But it was Woo. a goddamn battle uh, for like two weeks with this person. They got it done, but it took forever. And uh, I've moved the release date to March 25th. So anyone that's listening to this can look out for that on March 25th. Uh, the one year mark, the one year anniversary of my wife's cancer diagnosis. Do you have a party for that type of thing? Because it was bad at the time, but it's good that it's good that she's beaten it. So it's like, is this a day we celebrate or is this, do we take a moment of silence? What do you think? Mm, no, nah, I think you celebrate. Yeah, you celebrate. I think you celebrate, definitely. I mean, we, we're not going to like, uh, yeah. that's the only thing you can do. You can't, you can't ignore it. No, no, no. got to celebrate it. Yeah. Um, How's so that be you like going? I'm almost done. <laughs> is it annoying you? No. So that's what I've been dealing with this week. Um, 
Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Congrats on becoming a finalist in your comedy competition. If we had oh, a drop of people you. applauding, I would play it right now. Thank you. Yeah, we don't have a soundboard. We yeah. get one. Out of 91, the final the final 1-5, the final 15. That's pretty crazy. How many performances have you done for this? Two? Three? I did three. One and to qualify, you... then... And how did you feel about all three of these? Were they all like out of the park or were some of them like you didn't you didn't know if you're going to make it through or what, 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 how'd you feel about the three sets? Um, I felt very good about my five, my, uh, not my qualifying. I can't really remember my qualifying set. It was probably a decent, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, the five minute one, I felt pretty good about that one. Yeah. And then the, uh, 10 minute one was like a little less meh, but that was also like a very, week night where the, it was just like not a lot not a lot of energy happening and then i was last and so oh yeah it went well enough that i felt okay about it but i, I... well it put you through yeah so that's exciting. so when are the finals april 1st Ooh. saturday april, april fools. fools yeah interesting <clears throat> um i am so close to being done this freaking uh, trilogy this last book has been a grind it's so it's the end of it is just absolutely ridiculous i can't even believe what i'm reading half the time but uh, by the next podcast it will be finished and then we can have a discussion on that last book what do you say yeah sure i have not read it so i'll have to take a speed reading yeah maybe do like a cliff notes or something is that still a thing yeah. spark notes whatever spark notes yeah Go to Quinn's Ideas on YouTube. But uh, this gets real, real. There's some real fucking wild shit they're talking about in this one. Um, he just ramps up to the cosmic existentialism every book by like a factor of 10, which is pretty insane. Anyways, what do we got on the docket tonight? Well, today we're going to be talking about the philosophy of money. Something I know very little, little about. I'm so bad with money. <laughs> my taxes. Oh my god! Oh my god! I don't want to get into it, but okay. Yeah, money and finance. I don't know much about it either. In fact, you'd think of all the people studying money and finance, the ones you should listen to the least are the people who got philosophy degrees. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not not. You're not wrong on that. But historically. One of the earliest writers ever, the first philosopher ever, Thales of Miletus, was also a financial uh, investor kind of thing. Well, no, sorry, not an investor. Uh, he's what is called today an option trader. Okay. I have no so idea. This is, this is, yeah, so this is like way back in the day. I think an option trader or is like it's like commodities, I guess, where you're like next year the the corn is gonna get wiped out. So sell all of our all, all of our uh so buy a bunch of corn now and then there won't be any next year and ours will be worth more money. Like that kind Ooh, of thing. Oh, okay, I see. Um, so Thales did that. He did that uh he thought the next year was gonna have a very good olive harvest. And so he purchased uh he he rented olive presses for the whole next year for like not much money and then when the olive harvest was crazy he rented out the presses for way more than he paid and made a big profit and so he was a philosopher the of, that's the type of entrepreneurial mindset that i just i wish i had i would trade all of my gifts for that ability <laughs> to just see money making opportunities where no one else can Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would love that to be able to predict the future and then make money based off. Yeah, I guess that predicting the like, how do they even know what the next year is going to bring? Is it just are the as the is this they're like? There's there's literally people whose job it is is to look up weather predictions and and then tie that into finances. Because isn't that's that what kind a lot of, what... of people at these investment banks do like? I don't really know. They're looking at like, okay, what's going on with whole wheat industry. next year? 
And then they can it's make- arguably the biggest industry in the world, I think, is the financial services sector. Well, like Wall Street, that's- I think it's too late for me to burst into that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little late. Anyway. Who knows? Maybe if I have a lot of money one day, I can start. I would probably end up just paying someone to do that for me. It seems like it's probably a really hard thing to learn. That's a, that's, we're going to get into the, all of, all of, yeah, all of these topics are going to come up as we discuss the philosophy of money. What all Jesus right. famously called the love of money, the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. But is that and true? Then, Maybe it's not true. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. The love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. Um, and then the rich people would be like, the love of it is the root. Not having it is the love <laughs> I of don't it. Love it. I hate my money. <laughs> <laughs> I keep it in a dark box. I hate it. See, the thing is about that quote is I feel like even without money, there was evil. In the caveman days, there was evil. Is it just referring to any sort of currency or any sort of like leverage you can? Well, well it all depends on what is money anyway. That's all what, right. That's where we have to start as philosophers. Sammy Segway in the house. <laughs> All right. So we've got two two main theories of money. The first one is like seems like the more common sense one. And that's known as the commodity theory of money. So money under this theory is a commodity. It's like a, a physical thing. Mm-hmm. Like gold. It's the yeah. same thing as gold, basically. And for most of history, money was gold. So according to Aristotle, he thought money has three functions. It's a medium of exchange, a unit of account, and a store of value. So okay, can I just ask one quick question? Why did the ancient people like gold so much? What was gold used for other than blinging their shit out? (laughs) Well, I think it's... A few things, I think. It's rare, relatively rare. Mm-hmm. It is pretty and nice and shiny. It's malleable. You can work with it. So you can like put your stamp on it to prove that it's yours. You can like put that onto it. Yeah. Um, I think those, and it doesn't uh, rust or go bad at all. It, it stays pretty. All right. So it's got some cool properties. I'm just saying there's some shinier and rarer shit on the planet. Um, perhaps too rare for a currency the malleable yeah thing that's I the thing right of. it's got that nice nice balance of being rare but not too rare yeah you bring up it's a point like with emeralds. the malleable thing where you can like inlay it melt it down turn it into jewelry like is there any other metal that's more suited for yeah. uh essentially bling so it brings really me back to my, own, with, my yeah. own my old point bling. yeah. blinging shit out with something that is, never stops looking blinging mm-hmm. yeah it, and not, and so not only that, but money actually also solves the commodity of money also actually solves a great problem. So imagine a society, they have no money. All they can do is barter. So they trade, they trade things, a rock for a stick, for example. Yeah. But there, there's a problem with this. The, and uh, the problem is it's called the double coincidence of wants, which is like a, it, you can only trade with someone if they happen to want what you have. Right. So if your whole economy was based on trading things, it would be extremely inefficient and slow and it would it would be really hard to to get anything done. And so it's natural to realize like look, why don't we have some sort of middle middle thing, an intermediary that we mm-hmm. can use to exchange. And that's money. And so that uh it lets people store value in it, money stores value. It's easy to exchange with it, and it's easy to keep track of how much something is worth with it. So, it seems it's to be pretty, a lot of, it definitely has a lot of uses. Yeah, it seems to be quite useful, and and most of uh, most of history, people thought of money as this like a sort of a commodity, and they made coins and gold and stuff like that. And money and eventually many money arose in civilizations independently, like almost everywhere, right? Yeah, I don't know for sure, but I think so. I think there was like I think there's like coins originated somewhere, but people had I think their own kinds of money all over the place. Yeah. And did a lot of them 
incorporate gold into that currency? Um, or was there one this nation? This is the philosophy that... of money, not the history of money. Okay. I okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My bad. <laughs> well, anyway, so that's the commodity theory. Uh, and of course you can have paper money too. And it's basically a promise. And the, oh, so this is interesting. So here's a little history factoid. Oh, now yeah. you want to talk history. Okay. Fuck. So, <laughs> a, a ba- so why, why are, uh, why are, why are British pounds? Why do they used to be called pounds sterling? Well, it was because if you had a banknote from the bank of England, that that banknote was a promise to pay the bearer of the banknote one pound of sterling silver. Damn, pound seems sterling. like a lot. Yeah. All right, so that's the commodity theory. Now, a big problem with the commodity commodity theory is that it doesn't really explain the phenomena of inflation. So money becomes less valuable over time. But it doesn't make sense why it should become less valuable if it's still, if it's, if it's money, like it's not, it's not valuable because of how old it is or anything. So right. the commodity theory can't really explain that, but there, or maybe it can, there might be some arguments, but that seems to be a problem for it. And there's also another historical point. Yeah. <laughs> Hit me. And this questions whether societies went from bartering to money instead they seem to think money arose from credit relationships oh that were already existing in society so this is where uh this is where money gets weird the credit theory of money so money is not a commodity under this theory it's an abstract social construction Mm-hmm. Money is woke. Money is wokeness. <laughs> wokeness personified. Oh my god, I need some sleep. Um, <laughs> what was I going to ask you? Ugh. Oh, I was just going to say, credit is one of those words that when I hear it, my heart sinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know, I know. I don't have good credit, but I don't know how bad it is because I'm afraid to look at at it. So I'm hoping to just like build it back up to a less scary number before I look at it next. <laughs> yeah, credit credit is a scary thing. And but according to this theory, money basically exists to make like a token for a credit relationship. Mm-hmm. So a credit relationship is a promise from one person to give a favor, a product, a service, something like that, to whoever has the token. Right. So for this to work, two things have to obtain. The promise that you will give them the favor has to be credible. And the credit itself, the money, has to be something other people will also use to, to as payment. Right. So everybody has to agree in a region of air of, of of geography that these are the things. These coins or tokens are worth something to everybody. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh... There's a, a good way you can think of it is like you could sort of abstractly say it that someone um someone says like I'm gonna this is our token of of money and I'm gonna use it for things and it's gonna be worth such and such. And if enough people agree with them, then it becomes money. Right. Sort of like Bitcoin. Yeah, kind kind of like Bitcoin. Uh the philosophical term for this is collective intentionality. Mm. So if, if enough people, so if one person says like, hey, this is, I declare that this is money, 
if enough people see them do that and are like, yeah, that is money and I'm, I'm going to use it as money, then it becomes, it becomes a social construction. Yeah. So someone could be uh, hypothetically, they could be like, Hey, uh, ladybugs are actually, I want to buy that with ladybugs. And then, <laughs> and then one person's like, I actually fucking like that idea. And then that idea goes around. Now you have people with, um, massive amounts of ladybugs uh trading them uh now here's an idea what if they lose their value when they die that, that adds a whole nother vector to this problem um uh, it would lead to war okay bad idea <laughs> uh, scrap that one <laughs> yeah no no yeah the ladybug currency not probably not going to take off people wouldn't have to steal it to 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 ruin you they would just have to poison your your crop <laughs> oh my god can you imagine i should be able to kill someone's money like not <laughs> not steal it but just make sure it, it just make it worth nothing yeah man. Like, like bitcoin here we go <laughs> or crypto you can have yeah, it yeah. you can have a ton of it and then one day it's worth nothing but you still have it uh Bitcoin. I don't even, fortunately, I don't think we're going to, I don't know how, if we get into Bitcoin or not. <laughs> I, I too much. yeah, I, I've only got so many brain cells left. I can't be splitting my attention up to all these different avenues. Yep. So money under this credit theory, money is something that in some sense, it depends on us believing that things are money like it's not money if nobody believes that it's money but it's also not totally trapped in our heads because we need everyone to buy into it as well so that's that's the uh seem and that seems to be the theory that's the theory of money that is clearly at play today where money is not a promise that someone can have gold for it or something like there's no gold standard that's gone yeah um currencies aren't aren't based on on gold or anything like that it's so the, strictly the working uh, what's that phrase intentionality collective intentionality yeah. collective intentionality yeah it's solely that yes exactly all right so that's uh that's sort of what philosophers think money is they think it's a social construction and but that doesn't, but that's, uh, there's the other theory, the commodity theory, but that one's a little out of favor right now. So we're going to kick it to the curb. We don't like that theory. We like the social construction theory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything yeah. can be money. Anything can be money. In 2022. You got to just pick something you already have a lot of and then start convincing people that <laughs> it's money. <laughs> Dude, that is Bitcoin. That is what Bitcoin is. <laughs> I know. Let's make a fuck ton of this shit and then tell everyone that it's money. And guess what? We have the most. Yeah, that's what Bitcoin is. <laughs> that's great. What a hell of an idea. <laughs> All right. So uh, now we can move on uh, through the philosophy of money. This is an interesting part about money that we'll need to talk about the ethics later. But that is the what philosophers call the epistemology of money epistemology that, refers epistemology. to the the origin is that uh, right? not 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 quite epistemology <laughs> epistemology is about knowledge so ah, it's God. about how do you and if you define knowledge as a justified true belief how do people form justified true beliefs about money and finance and this gets back to that earlier question like wow i wish i could predict the future and then i would know what investments to make mm -hmm. that's the epistemology of money like how do you know to make a, how do you know how to make rash justified true beliefs about your money how do you do that especially if money is a weird social construction thing and not an mm -hmm. actual uh, object and, well, we might be yeah, dipping yeah. into the realm of knowledge I have the least of here, so I have no idea. 
All I know is that sometimes <laughs> my card says, Bing, you got this. And then sometimes it goes, you don't got this. And then I go, okay. And then I, I go home. <laughs> I wish it said, you got this when, when I tap my card. <laughs> I wish there was like audio that played with when you tap your card on something. And like uh, you could like, program a voice to be like, if you barely could afford it, be like, oh, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> Close, but no cigar. Close. <laughs> Just says the Are you out of product. your goddamn mind? I want it to scold me at the, at the point of sale. You know, scold me. <laughs> tell me I'm not doing something right here. <laughs> no, more A and W. More. <laughs> really? You want to know how many times that is this month? I something tells me you don't want to know. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So in. In money, the the most the concept that is like most closely tied to the epistemology of money is risk. So this is like the big uh, the big thing in money is risk. Whenever people make an investment or uh, one of these financial things, they're taking a risk because they can't really predict the future. Mm-hmm. So how do you? So how does the financial community? deal with risk and this is actually maybe interesting for other like you can maybe you can draw a lesson from here to apply it to other fields but i think what seems to be common in the world of money is that people deal with risks by what's called i guess hedging their bets they try to spread spread their predictions out across a bunch of different things uh, yeah some of which it's are like less it's, likely literally, it's like a game of roulette you you could either put all your everything on you know <laughs> red 13 but most people don't play that way they spread it out over the board a little bit yeah exactly you yeah you spread it out don't put it all on red bad idea yeah sort of spread it out and then where if something goes wrong in one area then you've got to cover with another investment in another area yeah so i don't know sounds cool <laughs> Sounds sounds like something else. Someone else is having that. a great time doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, I mean, we yeah. So sometimes it works. Clearly, sometimes it doesn't. There's a bunch of bank failures going on in the the states right now because of systemic risk in the banks, and they're not able to have the money that they need to pay back their customers. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that banks do not have uh, even like they do not even have close to the amount of money that they say they have for everybody, right? Like it, it, it's one of those things where, like you would think when you first hear the concept of a bank, at least as a kid, uh, you're like, all right, I put my bank and my money in there, and then they keep it safe and they take a little a little. Uh, fee for that but no that's not at all what they're doing they're just taking your money and loaning it out to other people at interest but they don't have like that's why when everybody runs to the bank and try and yeah. takes all their money out they don't fucking have nearly a, even a fraction of what they supposedly owe everybody yeah uh it, okay yeah so we're i think maybe we should talk a little bit about bitcoin because this was that uh that FTX collapse, um, they were they were kind of like they said that they would not do exactly what you said, which is take your money and use it in investments and stuff, so that they don't actually have it. They said that's actually what they're not going to do, and so that they really said they weren't going to do that. that with anyone's yeah, money. Yeah, that so was they... in their that was in their terms of service. Yeah. Oh and, boy! And then that is exactly what they did. Yeah. I can understand some <laughs> of the anger now. <laughs> I don't know. People people did not think that people thought they were putting their money somewhere where it wasn't going to be touched. So what was then, the FTX um what was their business model? Was it literally fees? Oh, like how were how did their Ponzi scheme work? Like how did they make like, money? Like no, why would what why were the how are the FTX people supposed to be making their profit if they weren't loaning it out? Well, they FTX was just supposed to be a place for you to put your money, your your coin, your Bitcoin. Right, but they weren't. It's not like it was. It's not like it was. Well, a he was a billionaire. Okay. Well, exactly. That he was a billionaire through his own make of his own making through his 
is like, I don't know how he did it exactly, but he made a lot of money being smart with money. Mm-hmm. And he had another company called Alameda Research, which was his investment company. And he was like so wealthy that his whole point was he was going to do ethical altruism and like help help people. Like he wanted to help people. So people didn't see him as wanting a big profit motive out of it. Right. He wasn't motive. So they they weren't thinking like, how is how is this all working? So in the people putting their money in their Bitcoin into FTX, they just thought it was literally like just this kind gesture, the system that this rich guy made so people can keep their Bitcoin safe, but he wasn't making any profit off of it. Well, it was like a, well, I mean, I think it's not like a bank where they charge like a a bank fee, but it's like a crypto exchange. So you buy and sell crypto on it and then they take like, they make like a little fee off of it. Yeah. So fees was probably there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But they did say like your money is safe when you're not trading it. Like you just put it here and you trade right. it. We don't trade it. Yeah. But actually yeah. they they we'll were scrape a that. tiny fraction off the top for having it here, but we're not Not no, not even for having it there. Just for they would only take a fee if you traded with it. That's what they said. Oh. Holy fuck, so they lied hard. Oh yeah. Total total fraud. Fraud. <laughs> fraud. <laughs> Yeah, well, that that leads us perfectly into the ethics of money, and uh, so we've got we've got a few uh, few topics to cover in the ethics of money, and then that that does it for the the philosophy of money. Oh really God, what a slog, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Let's fucking keep going. All right. So the first one is. The claim that, quote, financial activities are always morally suspect. I like that. This is money is the root of all evil. Yes. It's the love of money. So what do you think? Do you agree that the love of money or the, the profit motive, the motive to just get as much money as possible, would you agree that that is the root of evil? No, but I do think it is the cause of a lot of evil or a lot of choices that evil people make. Mm-hmm. I think it's greed. If you just want to say greed is the root of all evil, evil, then that makes way more sense to me. Um, okay, yeah. you can be greedy about lots of things, right? Even your own. Isn't ego. greed only about money, though? No. No, greed is simply wanting to have more than everyone else or someone else. Whether that's money, of anything like cucumbers? anything, yeah, could be. If you really want more cucumbers, most people don't care about cucumbers on that level, but I'm sure some people do. But I'm talking about you. Want, you don't want people to have more power or pleasure than you, um, which is why you know you can be greedy with. Uh, well, money is just the best way to to achieve your greed, your to sate your greed because it it can get you all a whole plethora of other things, right? All of so, the cucumbers. All the cucumbers. Uh, it can get you women. It can get you uh, power, influence, comfortability, whatever sort of rush you want, uh, any sort of thrill you could desire. But it can't buy you love. It probably can, but it's. Uh, True love, maybe not. Now, that's a whole different philosophy. You could definitely buy someone to pretend they love you, which is good enough for a lot of people. <laughs> I say yeah, greed is the root of all evil is more accurate than money. Money's just a okay. really good way to get everything you want. Uh, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I would say greed. It makes the most sense to be greedy for money because money can get you other yeah. stuff. Yes, but, but I don't think to, uh, it's like when you say the love of money, it's not like, I mean, some people are like this. They just want to see that number go up and never spend it. But for the yeah. most part, people like money because it begets them everything else. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is weird to have a love of money itself. That's very weird. Aristotle said that you should, uh, it's weird to love money just for its own sake because money for its own sake according to Aristotle, can't do anything for you. Money's only good because of what it, what the other things that it can get. So it makes no sense to love it just for its own sake. 
you should love it. You should love uh, the things that it can get you. So it is yeah. really weird for someone to just hoard a bunch of money. Karl Marx yeah, I mean, said it was uh, like a fetish. He said people that's fetish. what it is because now I think that fetish is rooted in the potential of having whatever they want. And those people might not even know what they want, but they know that it, if they want something, they can have it, right? Mm-hmm. The only true fetish, the only th- like dragons hoarding gold, that seems to be based purely on the money, <laughs> purely on the fascination with gold. Because dragons don't engage in commerce very often, <laughs> as far as I know. Maybe they do all Amazon deliveries. Um, but the people that are obsessed with building their bank account up. Uh, but uh, it's it's weird. It's like because you don't meet a lot of people who brag about being really rich, but don't buy anything. You know, like most people that are really rich um show it off uh if yeah, they're really they're, greedy if they're if they're like if they're that per- like there's lots of rich new people money. That that's new money i guess so i think old it, money is, is quiet i think it shifts at some point old money is quiet <laughs> old money wears modest but well-fitting clothes yes. i think at some <laughs> point uh there's a shift between oh my god i can buy whatever i want that's new money to mm-hmm. I can influence whoever I want, which is old money. Yes, yes, uh, that's great. We can jump. We can jump. Uh, we can jump to that, and then maybe we can get back to some of the other topics. But sweet segue, the influence Jordan. of money. Yeah, the influence of money. This this ties into like how money and democracy interact, political philosophy. Hmm. And so it like take take the United States for example, right? Take the 2008 financial crisis. Right? All the the huge uh, collapse of Lehman Brothers, all of these banks going down because they had taken on insane amounts of risks and made bad loans and everything came due. They the problem was that they couldn't really be punished because they were too big to fail. Right? If these banks were allowed to collapse, because the financial sector is such an enormous part of the economy, it would have taken down, you know, like the entire, it would have been a, like the great depression, but even worse. Yeah. Probably. Right. So it's almost like these banks are willing to take these risks as they know they, well, you know, we need them more than they need us type of thing. Yes. There's no, uh, there's no consequences mm-hmm. and the lack of consequences create something that's called moral hazard. So moral hazard is when there are no consequences for acting irresponsibly or, or badly. And the idea is that if there's no consequences for acting badly, then people will act badly. You get Nero. Especially if they can, you know, make a huge profit while doing so. Right. Couple that with the fact that they are too big to fail. And you wind up with a situation where the financial sector has tremendous power over the policies and politics of the state. And so even if people are voting for their elected officials, the elected officials kind of have to you know base all of their policies around how it's going to affect the financial sector. Yeah, that's a problem. And so is it really how democratic is that really? Not very. <laughs> so at the end of the day the banks have the final say on everything. On a, on a lot of things. Uh yeah. And this gets or worse just, as well yeah. if uh or some law that should be passed or some policy that needs to happen uh, for the greater good of society won't happen because it'll harm the banks. Um, so exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, and this was, this, this happened in 2008. They barely got in trouble. Like barely anything happened. A few regulations were imposed on them. No one went to jail, uh, right? No one went to jail. 
maybe a few mid-level, I think a couple people working at some random branch out in San Francisco. <laughs> Sacrificial <together>. lambs. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, uh, I know you had nothing to do with this, but we need to, we need to, we, they want bodies. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And even those regulations are getting rolled back. So there's a, like, a tremendous, yeah. yeah. I mean, is this, who, who's to blame? Is it the, the people at the head of the banking systems? I mean, they got to have more money than they could ever spend in their life at this point. So what, what is, what is the motivation? The or love is it, of money. <laughs> or is there an inherent flaw in the system that is like, you know, it's like a corporation that has to turn a profit every quarter or else it'll be fuck. i don't know what the fuck will happen i just heard that before and that's why corporations are so evil they're not even like made up of evil people it's the entirety the way the system functions uh yeah well oh that, that's gives I'm, way I'm, I'm happy evil. You, i'm happy you mentioned that thing about corporations uh right like they have to turn a profit um this is interesting right so corporations have investors right so investors are people who own shares in the company mm -hmm. if it's publicly traded so th that's wall street right like buying shares in companies that that's like that's wall street on the one hand we'd argue like look we're saying like these this financial sector they're so evil because wall street's basically a casino and ordinary investors have no idea what they're doing they put money in they lose it because they they don't know how to make you know, justified true decisions about what to do with their money. They don't have the people, epidemiology or whatever. Epistemology, yeah. Epistemology. Um, <laughs> but then some people are pretty smart about it and they actually care about the businesses and they invest yeah. in businesses because they expect they're going to get a return on their investment. They're the shareholders. Right. In fact, so they, they believe in the business's success. Yeah. So on the on the one hand, people hate the financial sector because they seem to be like speculators and gambling and they're taking these huge risks and they're, they're, they're screwing over ordinary investors and that's why they're bad. But then on the other hand, they also have a tremendous legal obligation to do whatever they can to maximize the returns to their investors. And so right. this causes them to go off and do all sorts of like terribly unethical behavior, cutting, Cutting it's corners, like if, they, if they can get safety. away with it, they're obligated to to try. Yeah, yeah, practically, yeah, practically. See so. that? Obviously, that's <laughs> a huge problem. <laughs> it is interesting how it sort of goes goes both ways. They're bad because they sometimes suck at their predictions, and then they're they're bad because they they have to maximize the amount of money that they can. Yeah. So, so whoever's uh, maximizing profits at a corporation, um, if they truly are maximizing them, like there is, this is as close to the the possible yeah. max. They're most likely doing some fucking terrible shit or causing terrible shit to happen. Because it's not yeah. like they're like, I could do this, but then this down the down the line or whatever this this uh, this leads to this path will lead to this other terrible thing happening over here. But technically, I could do it, and it's like, well, you're legally bound to do it, so do it. Yeah, it's like that recent uh, train derailment that company Norfolk Southern. Yeah. So they're publicly traded, and they, in order to maximize profits and therefore maximize returns to the investors they cut tons of corners put in all these you know very questionable practices mm -hmm. and so all to make could, uh to make more money and you know regulations are supposed to be in place to prevent this from happening but guess who uh, makes regulations people that are also investing in these companies probably yes this is another problem this is the revolving door problem so what happens a lot is the people who work on Wall Street are the only ones who really understand how it all works. So they're the only people who are really qualified to work in the government regulations. Mm. Uh, so then you have conflict of interest. Yes, big time. So the, the so entanglement of the financial sector and the government really is very limiting on, on democracy. 
So say I have a company and I want to get investors, but I also want to be ethical. I would, I'm sure this does happen. Couldn't I just be like, look, um, we want you to invest, but uh, you need to be aware that we won't be doing uh, things that cause harm to the environment or, you know, uh, you know, we won't employ a factory of eight-year-olds in uh, uh, Bangladesh to make <laughs> our product. Like we aren't going to maximize profits at all costs. We will pr- maximize yeah, totally profits yeah. well within our code of ethics. Now, why don't people do that? Because of greed, right? Yeah, I mean, some some companies definitely do that. They their business model is about being ethical. Um, I think a lot of organic foods and stuff, fair trade coffee things like that that's their their business model um yeah but they usually don't make as much money (laughs) right so it's it is greed yeah uh maybe okay so maybe one last one last topic and then we can wrap up uh this is just another quick ethical topic but an interesting one and that's interest so the charging of interest on loans so historically, this has been uh, considered very evil. In the Middle Ages, it was only the Jews were allowed to do this. Interesting. <laughs> <I didn't know laughs> because that. it was considered sinful. So only the Jews were allowed to do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, to this day, in Islamic society, banks are a lot of ban- banks are usually not allowed to just loan people money and then charge interest on it because it's considered that's considered evil. Instead what they have to do is they you can only loan someone money if you're going to like actually have some sort of business relationship with them. Oh, because so they you think have that, to look, you have to be the motivation behind loaning someone money has to be that you you want to help them make profit and then you'll take your portion. Not uh Yeah, cuz Yeah, okay. Yeah, cuz they say the the money from the interest is not earned. Like you right. won't after you it's give not, them the money, you don't do anything. So it doesn't make sense that you can earn something for doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, however, the world however, is so shitty sometimes. <laughs> however, maybe charging interest is okay. And let's think about maybe a couple of reasons why it might be ethically okay to charge interest. First, first reason, when you give someone a loan, you are taking a risk. And to some extent, maybe you should be allowed to hedge the risk by collecting some of the money off of the loan in advance. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But now you're almost, um, it's almost better for you to loan money to things that you think won't succeed because they won't, they'll always have to be paying off your interest, right? Yep. So, that, well, yeah, that's another huge problem and part of the 2008 crisis again, people just passing these bad loans. That's why um, like I th- I think more like more in the states, but uh, from what I understand, you can get like 10 credit cards going in the states like Yeah. <laughs> and then you're indebted to all these creditors for the rest of your life and it's like that's the bad. credit card companies knew you weren't going to be able to pay your bills every month, but they still gave you the credit card. That's true. That's that's very true. However, maybe we can look at it like this. There's a lot of advantages to having readily available cash in a society. Think about all the huge projects that are done that have to be done with loans from banks, yes. from investors. So many amazing technologies and things that we have would never have been possible if it weren't for huge investments. That's true. I mean, like most businesses, most people don't have interest. Yeah, yeah, no, I I get it. Like most businesses would not, no one's going to like most people that start a new business don't have the capital to start a new business. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it is a risk and a, a risk uh, maybe a risk so high that no one would loan the money if they didn't have interest. Because if you talk about like groundbreaking new ideas, um, they sound crazy at first. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like who invested in, uh, 
I don't fucking know. iPods? What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, or the microphone. Like, you're telling me I speak into this and then through magic and a wire, it comes out that that's not going to work. Like, even if I saw a prototype, I'd be like, this is some sort of parlor trick. <laughs> the dragons um, are not impressed. Yeah. <laughs> And how many times have the dragons not invested in something and then later on they find out that that person went on to become a millionaire with that product? Doesn't Does that happen, happen a that. lot? Yeah, I mean, it happens. They're, they have like segments on that show where they where it's all about this is... What uh, do they when, say? Do they do they make them watch that? And, like, <laughs> them? Like, Sit, down, <laughs> Sit down, dragons. Sit down, dragons. I think that much. has happened and they're just like, good for them. Um Right, but I, I believe they used to have a segment where it was like when the dragons miss or something like that. And then it's like some guys like they told me to kill myself, but I didn't, and I I persevered, and now I own half of China. Wow. Oh yeah, damn! I should watch that show. See if any of these philosophical lessons apply. <laughs> There's philosophical lessons in every TV show if you look. Uh, especially reality <laughs> reality shows even some of the most vapid bullshit ones do have like nuggets of philosophy gold hidden under the 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 silicone and the booze and the and the and the, and the, and the uh fucking i don't know what other, some other uh, sodom and gomorrah type shit uh i watched a show it's on netflix called outlast recently um it's brand new it's a survival show, but it became more of a social, uh, ethical, existential show. I don't, I don't have time to get into it, but it's essentially uh, there's like I think twelve people. They get dropped off in this kind of uh, this, this uh, delta in Alaska, and they're split up into four teams. And the whole thing was okay the team that survives the longest wins, right? It's Alaska. It's becoming winter. So it truly was survival. And every once in a while, there'd be like a helicopter that flies over and drops down like a, like a challenge for the four teams. Like one of them, they had to build rafts and there was an Island down the river that had uh, traps to catch crabs in. And the first one to get there could have them. So they all like scrambled to make rafts and went down the river to get these. But then one team decided, spoiler alert for the show outlast. Um, it just became where the teams were no longer trying to see who could survive the longest. It was who could fuck with each other's uh, survival the most. So there'd be like midnight assaults on the other people's camps, like stealing shit. And like, just, it just became like a very Lord of the flies type situation. And I don't know if that was the idea when the showrunners put the idea together, because all the other, lots of the contestants were surprised that no one was stopped, like stepping in to stop this. Um, anyways, philosophical, some, uh, some stuff in there that I found very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn. Sounds like a real state of nature out there. Yeah. <laughs> Not the Rousseau kind either. <laughs> that reference went way over my head. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> we did, yeah, we did an episode on it, but yeah, it's, it's, oh, okay. <laughs> it's been a long time since, how many episodes do we have since we come back? Like four or five, I think. Uh, this is eight, I think. What? No. Yeah. Since yeah. we've had our, since we came back. Yeah. All right. I really gotta get this fucking uh, this. Uh, you gotta get some sleep. Cat. I do. I do. <laughs> I really, really do. Ah. Uh, uh, whatever. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Anyways, that's our episode. Hope you all learned something. Next week. I want to, we don't have to do the whole episode, but I would like to talk about some of the ideas in this last book in the three body trilogy, because there was some really crazy shit and you should read up on it or do a little snooping on the internet to, you know, figure out what it was about. If you're not going to read it. Uh, I will do, I will, I will do the reading. I you're not going to read the whole book in a week. If you read the whole book in a week, I will be very no, impressed. I'm not doing Lastly, you would have to read the whole trilogy to like understand a lot of the references that they're talking about. But anyways, just do the cliff notes or whatever. That's our podcast, TPS Podcast 420 at gmail.com. I will access it eventually. And then hopefully we'll have a treasure trove full of emails. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the time this comes out, no, never mind. My album won't be out next. But uh, <laughs> Anyways, anything else to add, Sam? 
Uh, I mean, we could say a lot about how the the IMF is basically run by the U.S. and it's how the U.S. maintains like a de facto global currency. But yeah, yeah we, 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 well, we call that a cliffhanger, folks. Um, okay, bye. Right.